it again, Al. All you had to do is just say no, Sean. No, no, Sean, I will not get your jacket. Sean, I will not do what you tell me. I will not do what you tell me. I'm a big boy and I will not do what you tell me. You get your own jackets, Sean. How about you pick up your own dry cleaning, Sean? Just listen to Dr. Klein. They're right. Pushover. Um. I don't think these are the right directions that Sean gave me. Um. I'm in the middle of the desert. Oh, I think that's a pack of doggies. I better call Sean to let him know that um, he's giving me the wrong direction. Oh no, no, I got no, res no reception. Oh, fuck. Um, oh dear. Those aren't dogs, they're coyotes. Oh my God, no. Ladies and gentlemen, there's been an underwater nuclear explosion. A beast has been awakened. It approacheth with fearsome steps. Boom, boom, boom. Are we paying the price for our hubris of science? Welcome back to Take a Look Around, where size does matter. My name is Shawnee Campion, and as always, we are not joined by Alistair Bates. Unfortunately, Alistair Bates went on special assignment eight days ago and has been missing ever since. So, we're joined by our executive producer, Phoebe Paradise. How are you, Phoebe? Shorty, honey, thank you so much for having me on the pod. I am so excited to be here. Look, I wish Al's family well and I hope they're doing okay in his absence. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it's all gonna come out in the wash. And uh, I hope that Al has got all of his insurance policies in order because if he doesn't turn up soon, I'm going to kill him. <laughs> <laughs> now, Phoebe, that's not the only breaking news we want to talk about today. What is this garbage you're watching? I want to watch the news. Are you making, are you making headways? This is the news. What we want to get into is a real breaking news, and that is... We went to go see a movie on Funky Monkey Friday, didn't Ooh! we? Oh my God, I am still glowing, like a nuclear glow from watching this like Godzilla versus Kong. Oh my God, Clash of the Titans. It, it was... finally happened. Did you know there was another Godzilla versus Kong in 1963? I thought this is literally the first time ever that they'd done this. <laughs> I, I'd never heard of that in my life. But I've blocked out all Kong and Godzilla content in the lead up to this. This is like the only movie. Yes, this was the only movie on my mind. We we are both diehard Lizard Crew fans, aren't we? Absolutely. Fuck King Simp. Fuck, fuck a monkey. Yeah. I'm not reverting back to monkey. Liz That's heads. Liz heads all the way. I'm Lizzo. I'm Lizzo. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I was extremely excited and I was extremely excited to neck two bottles of wine and to be the most annoying person in the cinema yeah. with you. I feel like it was this real return to like golden age, like movie, like popcorn experience. Like it's been so long since I've gone to the movies and been fucking excited to see a film. And I think that we went a little too hard going to see this because Brisbane, where we are right now, has been plunged immediately into another COVID lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> we went so hard at Godzilla versus Kong that uh, we have ruined experiences for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> went a little too ape. Uh, but Phoebe, what are your initial thoughts on Godzilla vs. Kong? I'm morally opposed to spoilers, but I would love to hear your thoughts. I 
absolutely loved it. Like I said, I think it's like this total return to the popcorn cinema experience and like it was just so much fun. It was fast paced and I think it was quite long, but it didn't feel like it at all. I was I was interested because I'd seen all of the lead up to this. I'd seen Kong Skull Islands, I'd um which I'd really enjoyed. Um I'm looking forward to the Metal Gear film by the director of that. That's gonna be fantastic. Yeah. I'd seen Gareth Edwards's Godzilla back in two thousand fourteen. The one with like uh, I feel like the like people's opinions on that were quite divided and if a little muted at the time but there's yeah. been this real like resurgence on that film coming back was that the one with breaking bad in it or yeah, yeah. brian cranston pulling a full steven seagal and executive decision where he dies 30 minutes <laughs> yes. into the movie that he is the lead in i don't remember anything about that movie i went to see it in the cinemas and i have seen it since watching it in the cinemas i just remember it had like Aaron Taylor Johnson or whatever from yeah. Kick-Ass in it and Elizabeth Olsen in it and they played brother and sister in fucking the Marvel, the Marvel movies, movies as well yeah, yeah that's, that's that's my lasting memory as well <laughs> Godzilla only appears for something like nine minutes in the whole film which yeah. pissed people off Classic. Ken Watanabe's like let them fight people love that <laughs> I remember like, the trailer oh definitely. yeah for sure yeah well, we're all great. familiar yeah, with the trailer yeah. <laughs> and then uh, a few years later I really enjoyed Godzilla King of the Monsters where they drop a nuclear bomb on Godzilla to start him like an old car. Oh my god. And I, Millie Bobby Brown just screams the whole time. I loved that one. That was so good. That had Coach Taylor in it yeah. from Friday Night Lights. So Absolutely. good. So I mean, those were all fantastic, fantastic films in their own right. And I feel like this monster verse that they were building was like it, it was fun. It was like it, it, it didn't have the same like kind of like noticeable massive impact that yes. say the DC or the Marvel films did. Yeah. But it was like not quietly building its own little fan base and like appeasing people every time. So when they announced that Adam Wingard was going to be directing Godzilla versus Kong, I was really excited. I like his work a lot. Yeah. I'm a big fan of The Guest. And Your Next, his early mm. horror films. I really enjoyed his take on Death Note that he made for Netflix. A lot of people call that one of the <laughs> worst films ever made. But if you're willing to give it a punt, it's like a modern day version of Final Destination. It's so much fun. And all the music is Australian. It's like air supply and in excess. Yeah, I got like the uncanny valley watching uh, the like live action Death Note and had to turn it off. It With made me Willem feel Defoe. ill. Yeah, and me half as well. Friend of the pod, <laughs> me half. <laughs> friend of the show, Chris Campion as Willem Defoe, and friend of the show, me half as me half. Yeah. <laughs> But so I was really excited that Adam Wingard was involved and I was even more excited that Simon Barrett, his long-term screenwriting partner, was not involved because we reached out to Simon Barrett for our uh, season one episode on Blair Witch 2, Book of Shadows, and he was quite rude to us. Oh, fuck. I can't believe you've done this. So yeah, uh, I really enjoyed this Kong versus Godzilla movie. We're not going to like reveal any spoilers or go into the plot too much because that's not what this episode is about. Mm -mm. This episode is about a different beast entirely, pun intended. Do you have any final thoughts on Godzilla vs. Kong? I feel like these, you know, other than obviously being about the the same kind of content, like these are actually a great double feature because these are movies that were both dominated with marketing oh, for and sure. are like the ultimate representation of like popcorn cinema of its time. Yeah. Um, one more successful than the other, I feel. <laughs> I really enjoyed uh, the bisexual lighting of Godzilla versus <laughs> Kong. I think this is the first time since Blade Runner 2049 that I've really enjoyed that uh-huh. like purpley, purpley the atomic blonde Uh, yes oh i was trying to remember the name of that movie i was like 
what was that ridiculous Charlize Theron John Wick knockoff that just kind of like dominated every YouTube ad for a year straight and then disappeared without a trace? So much lost potential in that movie, I feel. For sure. I I feel like something I will point out that if you have seen Godzilla vs. Kong and you're listening to this episode, that it is very much... Two movies yes. shot at and playing back to back at the same time. Absolutely. You'll know what I'm talking about. It's like you could almost cut an entire film out of this film and still have the exact same movie. Um, extremely notable in Godzilla vs. Kong as well. Sean and I started screaming at the screen the moment Millie Bobby Brown threw her bag into Brisbane high school port racks yeah. like the most obviously shot in Brisbane movie I've ever seen in my life Brisbane and the Gold Coast stand in for Florida for this and if you ever grew up uh, like in this part of the world or even just a part of the world in Australia you will be like, there is no possible way that is America. Yeah, yeah. you're like, oh my God, Godzilla versus Kong in Indrapilly. Godzilla versus Kong at a red rooster. <laughs> at a red rooster in Narang. Yeah. It's, it, it's a lot of fun. Run, don't walk to the cinema to see Godzilla versus Kong. But that's not what we're here to talk about today, Phoebe, is it? No, it isn't. We're here to talk about another movie where size does matter and a movie that they felt was too big to fail. Oh, you plan this one. <laughs> Play trailer. It's Godzilla from Okay, today we are talking about Godzilla from 1998, directed by Roland Emmerich and starring, pause for effect, Matthew Broderick, Jean Reno, and Hank Azaria. <laughs> More on that soon. Phoebe, uh, let's talk about 1998. This is like... I guess a few people are thinking like, hey, is this really a new metal film? Answer, yes. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Unequivocally. This is, like if we, we've talked about this before, like there are proto new metal films. We've talked about um, Born. We've talked about Judgment Night before. And Godzilla is really on the cusp. This is right before yep. Bride of Chucky and The Matrix took the formula and ran with it. But all of the DNA is there. It, it, this is the transitional piece between the 90s summer blockbuster yeah. and kind of the early 2000s, late 90s film that we kind of dwell on so much in this. Phoebe, do you remember what you were doing in 1998? Do you remember the summer of Godzilla? I love this question because I feel like nobody actually remembers this movie, but they remember 
the entire environment around it. This I is- would absolutely 100% agree with you. It's coming. An event so monstrous, so relentless, that nothing on Earth can stop it. The time has come to rock the world. Godzilla is alive and now priced to own on video. My... my- Memories of this film are populated by featurettes in K-Zone and Disney Adventures. Absolutely. <laughs> like, it's all about, like, the drink toppers, like, at McDonald's or, like, trips to Pacific Fair and Toys R Us. I remember this movie, like, when I watched it um, two days ago, I realized that I don't know anything about this movie. Like, I remember going to see it. I remember all of the marketing around it, but I did not remember a single detail about this film, um, except for... Did my... you see it at the time that it came out? I'm pretty sure I did because my nan took me to Pacific Fair on the Gold Coast. Yeah, about uh... time <laughs> you gave some context to this place that you keep mentioning. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Pacific Fair was famous in Queensland because it was once known as the largest shopping centre in the Southern Hemisphere that was also attached to a Jupiter's Casino oh, on the Gold yeah. Coast. you so, got to start them young. Yeah, 100%. So it was like the kind of like fancy place to go and so we took the train down and my nan took me there we went to Toys R Us and I bought a uh also she she bought me a Godzilla toy where when you pressed its um chest it made the like like noise sorry one more time (laughs) yeah I got got it the second time yeah good you can overdub that one um but and then I would like you know harass my brother like chasing around the house with that toy uh, pressing the button over and over again. But I don't remember anything about this movie. It is so forgettable. Like, how about you, Shawnee? Well, I remember being genuinely excited for this film. Like, I'd followed a lot of the, like, initial marketing. Like, the uh, the incredible design work for that logo with the green glow. Yes. Just, like, it spoke to me as a child in the same way that, like, Quicksilver and Billabong shirts yeah. would. Like, it was really calculated in its marketing airbrush t-shirt yeah for sure i i was like i said before like i was following along with it i was a massive fan of the simpsons as a kid and so to find out that the voice of mo was one of the characters i was genuinely excited for this movie Mm -hmm. and it got to the point where we were on the way to the movie theater and i suddenly got cold feet like you got spooked. I got. I was seven years old, and I freaked the fuck out about the idea of having to go see a monster movie. I that my dad that. took my brother to go see Godzilla, and my mum took me to go see Anastasia. <laughs> <laughs> No, yes. you are not putting this story to recording. Not, oh no, my god, abs- short. Yeah. And so for like the next week afterwards, I had to go toe to toe with my brother trying to justify my decision that going to see Anastasia (laughs) was a better decision than Godzilla. Chris would be like, oh yeah, like they eat the guy from the Simpsons. And I'd be like, yeah, well, Anastasia has a talking bat. (laughs) (laughs) Her house is beautiful. (laughs) (laughs) So honestly, uh, this was the first time that I'd ever seen the film uh, on Sunday in the lead up to this episode. And Phoebe, I'm not going to lie to you. I have never had this happen to me watching a film before. This film gave me a migraine. (laughs) It looks like shit. Sean, I am so sad that you think that. I like I went into this movie expecting to absolutely hate it because like obviously we'd just seen like this amazing movie on Friday night together, Hooten and Holler, and I'm like, how could this possibly follow uh Godzilla versus Kong? But I loved it. You loved it? I feel like this is one of those movies that people love to hate, like the fucking Beatles or whatever. And they're like, yeah, man, like 
they just really fucked it but i think like the the way you need to like look at it through a lens not as a godzilla movie but as like like a jurassic park movie like jurassic park pig in the city kind of kind of movie you know well it's literally jurassic park the lost world absolutely yeah absolutely (laughs) i I think i might have been too hard on this film because it nearly made me miss a day of work (laughs) but i i think that the best way to look at this film is as a period piece like i turned to my girlfriend when we were watching this and i was like we're watching Mary Antoinette right now. Like this is <laughs> like uh, an idiosyncratic tongue-in-cheek period piece of the pre-9/11 early days of the Giuliani mayoral candidate era. He went to the premiere too. Yeah, <laughs> fucking hell. Yeah. Like l- l- let's l- let's jump straight in yeah. here. So we get this initial set piece in which uh, a tanker ship off the coast of, I want to say, Hawaii? Yeah, Costa yeah, yeah. Rica, somewhere like that. Uh, probably two opposite sides of the world there. <laughs> sure. Sean. It's all just <laughs> islands to me. <laughs> Jamaica. Kokomo. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stop. Anyway, um, they... Uh, it's a salmon tanker. So it's yeah, like a fishing tanker. Deadliest catch. Yeah, yeah. And the deadliest catch is man. Yes, it is. There's like they managed to fit in this like little bit in the opening scene there where it's a man that is like a Japanese man. So it's a Japanese tanker, whereas a man not only eating noodles with chopsticks, but also watching sumo wrestling oh, on his tiny television. I'm like, guys, like. The Come funniest on. bit to me was that he was eating out of a takeaway container. It's like, you're in the middle of the ocean. You where did you get... You have been at sea for months. Where so did what's you happening get here? takeout? Okay, but that aside, I think that opening sequence is absolutely fantastic. I thought it was so great. Yeah. And like, you know, like all apocalyptic, you know, monster movies or disaster movies, the opening sequence is such a make or break. And I always wish that those kind of like before the the reveal of the monster lasted longer absolutely you know, i always and like, like most of the movie the, this opening sequence in particular like i was like oh hold on a second this is going to be one of those episodes where we discover this like gem that has been hated on for so long mm-hmm. because right after that you get this incredible like opening title sequence uh, of nuclear testing in French Polynesian oh, islands. The lizard budget the in this movie. Oh, of, my God. Yeah, from the perspective of a group of iguanas in this incredible, like, hazy orange VHS effect yeah. over the top of, like, the most bizarre cast that I had ever seen committed it's to... It's incredible. ...to a film ever. But we'll, we'll get to that. So right away we're introduced to Matthew Broderick's character, uh, who is a worm scientist working in Chernobyl after the Chernobyl incident, studying the effects of radiation on worms. So first of all, I was like, okay, so when you hear the words Matthew Broderick, what, what sticks out to you, Phoebe? One, two, three. Car crash in Ireland where he murdered a mother and daughter for driving on the wrong side of the road. (laughs) No, of course. You think Ferris Bueller's Day Off. You think War Games. This is a guy that has... He he was the voice of Simba in 1992. Mm -hmm. But then nothing. Yeah. And you get to 1998 and he is the lead character in the biggest film of the year. Can I just say, I I love how this movie works so hard to try and make Matthew Broderick hot. They're like, no, 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 Matthew Broderick, but he's sexy. He's been to the gym. We've found an actress shorter than him. (laughs) (laughs) It it took us six months, but we found an actress shorter than him. Yeah, we sent him to the gym. We put him on roids. It didn't quite work out. We put him in a hat to hide the bald spot. Yeah, it kind of just made his hair fall out. Yeah, yeah. He's barely in it. Like, listen, he's hot stuff. Well, see, I was like, all right, um, who, like, what deal with the devil did Matthew Broderick's agent make 
Where are the bodies hidden? <laughs> Where are the bodies hidden? Like, what Jeffrey Epstein shit is going on? And you know what I found out researching yeah. this film, Phoebe? Tell me. This part was written for him. I heard that. What the fuck? Who's who? Said, who gets a $200 million budget and says, I'm going to put Matthew Broderick in 1998 <laughs> you know what? in a hat <laughs> from the basis from Pearl Jam and he's going to take on Godzilla. What the fuck are you people smoking? <laughs> he's wearing a Kangle the entire movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's the first weird actor. And then the next lead we get is Kevin Dunn. Who's like a consummate character actor yeah. professional that you'd probably best know as like one of the like curmudgeonly, uh, curmudgeonly like aides to Selena Myers in V. <gasps> oh God, yes, that's where I know him from. Yes. Oh my God, and amazing! Just, he just plays the same character in every yes. movie, doesn't he? He's a fixer. That's kind of his his deal, right? So he plays a general that enlists Matthew Broderick in to this like mission to track down. Okay, the film tries to do its best to like hide what's going on but it immediately just busts its load in the first 11 minutes yep. of a two hour and 15 minute film it's like Godzilla Gajira Gajira and so like we immediately get this exposition dump in which they're like oh we brought you on because uh we think that it's a lizard that got made big by radiation and you did radiation on worms so mm-hmm. we're gonna involve you like what is this? Like- it's a longbow. It's a longbow. I think the most interesting part about this whole little bit here, though, is that how they go, um, this lizard was created by nuclear testing by France. <laughs> France did the nuclear testing. Yep. They dropped the bombs in the ocean. They created this possible beast. Um, America has nothing to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> And so we get along for the ride Jean Reno, who, spoiler alert, he he casts himself as an insurance agent for like damage caused by Godzilla. Amazing. But he's actually part of the French Secret Service who turn up in this film out of some kind of bizarre loyalty to France that they feel bad about nuclear tests and are, like, here to stop Godzilla. And it's like, oh, bro, how about you go to, like, Algeria? Like, I'm sure Algeria would love to, you know, like, <laughs> would love to hear from some French people that are worried about Fr- France's colonial past. If this plot isn't making sense to you right now listening to it uh, or listening to us describe it, that is fine. It is because this plot makes absolutely like no lick of sense they just jump you could basically rearrange the plot from any point in the movie like yeah you could just dive in you don't need any of the exposition dumps it's about a giant lizard attacking new york which is immediately what happens after jean reno yep is introduced like we're so used to the Godzilla of 2014 even the Godzilla that we saw on Friday Mm -hmm. night kind of like it teases the appearance of Godzilla for ages and we get a two hour and 15 minute film in which we get full Godzilla just like a dick pic of Godzilla (laughs) like in LDMs like 15 minutes into the movie yeah and he just appears and just strikes New York and you're left wondering like how are we going to deal with this what abundant bizarre group of characters are going to have to deal with this uh-huh and you know who is going to have to deal with this Phoebe who the cast of the Simpsons the entire cast of the Simpsons so we get introduced to Charlie Kamen who is a news anchor played by uh, is it Harry Shearer? Yeah, Harry Shearer. Yeah, yeah. Who is the voice of Kent Brockman, Kent Brockman. and Smithers. And he's just doing straight Kent Brockman this entire time. Yeah. Hello, I'm Charles Kamen. In 1954, a strange and mysterious creature emerged from the depths of Tokyo Bay and leapt onto the movie screens of the entire world. Like, this is peak 1998. So, like, The Simpsons was, like, Simpsons Mania was still... 
like this is like Conan Simpsons right yeah this is just after Conan Simpsons I think Conan would have started late night by now yeah so like I feel like a lot of people say like 99 is the last good Simpsons Mm -hmm. like and even a lot of people would say as far back as 96 I'm I'm a 99 guy like Simpson tied whether on the nuclear submarine I think that's the funniest episode of all time and that's that's like late 99 daybreak Jakarta the proud men and women of the Navy are fighting for freedom. But you're in Lubbock, Texas, hosing stains off a monument. You're in the Naval Reserve, America's 17th line of defense between the Mississippi National Guard and the League of Women Voters. It's it's really confusing because you see, like, this cast of characters. You've got, like, what were they from, like, network news or uh, broadcast news. You've got, like, Drew Carey show, like, cast members. You've got, like you know Matthew Broderick like the producers and stuff like where are these people coming from like what deal with the devil have they signed to get together into this film like it makes absolutely no sense this is such a huge movie and there is not one recognizable face on it absolutely like we get a scene where Godzilla walks past the news studio while Charles Kamen uh, Harry Shearer's character is lamenting to his producer that he never gets a story and his secretary turns around mm-hmm. and goes I think you can do a better impression than I can, Phoebe. Wait, what am I saying? The Nancy Cartwright bit. Oh, the Nancy Cartwright. Yeah, where she's like, oh, I think your uh, uh, story just walked past the window. Yeah, it just full Bart Simpson accent. We just yeah. get Nancy Cartwright from The Simpsons turn up. Uh, along for the ride there, we get uh, Charles Kamen's other assistant, played by uh, a budding actress that staked everything on this film by the name of Maria Patillo. Phoebes, mm. thoughts on Maria Patillo? My thought on Maria Patillo is that I can see why curly hair isn't abundant in movies because of the continuity errors that have <laughs> been going through the entire film. I checked her IMDb out and that is the mo- Like, this is it. I feel that she gave a performance so grating and so yeah. unlikable in this film that this was supposed to be her introduction to the mainstream yeah. and it just big break. sunk without a trace. She has like an appearance on One Tree Hill after this. You know what though? They, apparently they were looking to have Sarah Jessica Parker on um, as the like main Jennifer romantically. Jennifer Aniston and Ren- Renee Zellweger also auditioned yeah. for Yeah. And instead they were like, ah, we'll get the curly haired broad instead. She's cheaper. She's not in SAG. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So, unfortunately, Maria Patillo, like, I I can't tell if it's her performance or what she's given to work with, but her character in this is just... She plays the uh, university love interest of Nick Topolis, Matthew Broderick's character, who's tr- who dumped him to try and make it in the showbiz world of broadcast news and mm. is not doing too well for herself in New York. And uh, proceeds to realize that Matthew Broderick's caught up in this big Godzilla conspiracy and worms her way back into his life to kind of take advantage of him. Not really like a, a great, like, romantic lead, is it? Like, just scheming from the get go. Absolutely not. I feel like, you know, she's supposed to be this sort of like down on her luck, downtrodden by like the weight of New York and the weight of showbiz type character, but she just kind of comes off as like, irredeemable and kind of she's like shitty zoe deschanel isn't she (laughs) (laughs) no good no good no good with her is hank azaria as animal the cameraman for the news network boy who fucking hell like cartoonish but not in a simpsons way in a like buffoonish way nobody's the straight man in this movie like every single character is like set up to be animated yes this is a cartoon 100 like you don't have a single actor that is known for their live action acting right all of the people that are on this screen are playing it like cartoon characters and you know we can talk about that later because this did go on to become an animated series um but like I don't know. I like at no point do you feel like high stakes in this movie. No, not ever. Nobody's afraid. Everyone's kind of making these like, you know what though? Like everyone in this movie, the dialogue, which everyone hated at the time, 
So you could like replace this in a Marvel movie, this and it would Marvel be dialogue, this is Marvel dialogue. It? You want it when? Uh, I think yeah. that we should run. Wait, he asexually reproduces. Where's the fun in that? Like, yeah, for sure, crazy. But the thing is, for a, a cast of such talented comedians, outside of Harry Shearer's character, not a single person is funny in this movie. No. No. Hank Azaria is genuinely grating as yeah. this like New Jersey Bensonhurst, like Lower East Side classic New Yorker guy mm-hmm. played by this a fate Hollywood liberal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I, I like I realize I'm making it sound like I don't like it, but I really do. I just don't like the people in it. Like once you take away the people, like the action sequences I think of are great. I, I think- found it nauseating. When, <laughs> like, no! Apparently, like, there is a, a version of this film you can get as a Blu-ray rip yeah. uh, where they have restored the special effects to the digital tape that it was originally supposed to go to mm. cinema with and that is the definitive version of this film. But for me, this, like, constant rain downpour blues and grays and blacks like i i couldn't focus on a single Mm. thing in this movie it's a film designed to be a 4d roller coaster at movie world right (laughs) yeah for sure plot wise if you have seen a monster movie you get where we're going with this Godzilla is roaming around New York. He's hiding in tunnels. Mm -hmm. There's this bizarre kind of plot that starts to take hold of the film as Godzilla itself takes a back footing in his own movie because it turns out they are pregnant. Yes. And that they reproduce asexually. And that they've littered the city with eggs that are all going to hatch. Uh, Jean Reno in- reintroduces Jean Reno, actually. What did I say? <laughs> Jean Reno. Oh, Jean Reno. <laughs> His name's Jean Reno. <laughs> <laughs> uh, introduces himself. He's not an insurance agent. He's actually a French Secret Service agent who is there to help uh, Nick Totopoulos as Matthew Broderick take down these dinosaur eggs. Godzilla is shot by torpedoes at the request of Mayor Ebert, which is one of the most bizarre parts of this film. So weird. Michael Lerner plays a caricature of American uh, movie reviewer Roger Ebert, and his assistant plays Gene Siskel, and they, they're like dead ringers for the actual versions. And in any other film, this would be a throwaway gag. But the two of them are major characters that, like, are responsible for plot points in the film. Yeah. And they're there to just make jokes about their thumbs-up, thumbs-down system of voting. Like, where's the bodies hit the floor score? (laughs) Excellent question. I also think that, like, that is just such a great moment in a movie that is kind of weirdly anti-Hollywood. Like, they didn't do market testing... They hated, like, the original Godzilla. Yeah, uh, Roland they... Emmerich is on record as saying he hated it. Yeah, he, he was like, fuck what people want. I want to do m- my own. Uh, you know, I just want to make, like, a cool Godzilla. Uh, <laughs> I just think, like, if we do, like, a cool Godzilla, it's, like, raining all the time. Um, you know, Godzilla was so, like, stuffy in the original one. I want him to be sexy. I want him to be slim. I want him to have a visible cloaca. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we must get back to Dusseldorf to see Kraftwerk, <laughs> Dance Centrum. It has this kind of weirdly anti-Hollywood vibe, right? Like the anti-Ebert stuff, not having like a, a, like a hugely representable cast, you know, not having the market testing, like being anti-Godzilla. It's just a weird movie. It's we'll really touch on weird. It more in production, but it is like bizarre that Emmerich, who was so unbelievably successful with his work on Stargate and Independence Day Mm. that he could write any check possible within Hollywood would turn in something like this that is just so... All of his hallmarks are there of both of those films, but it just turns all of them inside of itself. Yeah, And, I mean, Godzilla is killed... At the hour and 20 minute mark, probably hour mark by two torpedoes. 
Dude, I reckon like so much of this movie is about America like trying to assert itself over the original idea of Godzilla, right? So Godzilla wasn't made by Hiroshima. Godzilla isn't invincible. Godzilla can be like defeated, outsmarted by our scientists, by our powerful military. Like it's this kind of like cognitive dissonance of like american like media and they don't understand what made godzilla work which is what was a big factor in why so many people hated this film when it came out is that it makes godzilla anonymous this is a monster he's an animal they say it over and over yeah at, at no point is anyone like kind of talking about Godzilla as if he's this kind of thing to be feared it's something that has to be overcome he's not this like force of nature that we have to stand out of the way of it's something that we have to defeat it's a very like you said it's a very American approach that was abandoned for the more recent Godzilla films probably because of such poor press for this film. Totally. Like this, like the 1998 Godzilla was like the God killer movie. Right. Whereas like Godzilla versus Kong is very like irreverent, like pro environmentalism. This one's just like, no, we go like big gun blammo. Yeah, for sure. Kill lizard. So the second half of the film around the time my migraine kicked in, is entirely this just extended advertisement sequence in which all of the cast kind of converge on each other to take down the dinosaur eggs in Madison Square Garden where they run past the same LucasAid and Blockbuster video billboards over and over as wave after wave after wave of bad CGI dinosaurs chase them making baby noises this is a a kids film marketed to adults and an adult film marketed to kids that is not liked by either (laughs) they did a very bad job at marketing or creating content for both that last hour is like the scooby-doo sequences where they're just kind of running between like doors in a corridor trying to like get away from the baby velociraptors I misspoke. I said Velociraptors. I meant Godzillas. But again, this is just a Jurassic Park movie. This is just the Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park was big. Independence Day was big. Let's get the Independence Day movie guy to make Jurassic Park. I love that we can do our job on Coke. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Who we got? Who will do this fucking movie? Uh, Hank Azaria is free. He wants another story on his house. Let's do it. All right. So really, yeah, like towards the end of this film, uh, a bunch of French Secret Service agents die. But this is a ludicrously unbloodthirsty film. There is little to no carnage outside of the Roland Emmerich traditional shots of the Chrysler building being destroyed, the Flatiron building being destroyed. You never see anyone die in this. No, there's there's no one in this movie. Like, there aren't people in this. The whole island of Manhattan is evacuated at the start of the film. Within, like, 40 minutes. (laughs) Yeah, so it's, like, it's the hardest PG you've ever watched. Mm. It reminds me of The Meg. In that way. Yes. Like, The Meg is a movie that could have been so fabulous if it, could it got have been an fantastic. R rating. I was so disappointed when that came out. I watched it. I was, like, so ready for it to be great. But, yeah, same kind of same with this movie. Like, I think they they tried to please everyone and in doing so please no one i have like really shit taste so i just loved it i love i love the miniatures i loved the like crappy cgi it felt like turok dinosaur hunter (laughs) (laughs) it felt like red alert too they defeated godzilla with a tesla coil (laughs) but you know i i think that they they tried to do a lot of things well uh and did a lot of things badly instead. Absolutely. Let's talk production. We do it like this. So, in the 90s, you had a few very distinct flavors of 90s action film. Uh, we've talked before on the Patreon about The Rock and Jerry Bruckheimer's influence uh, with the Bad Boys franchise. He was a he was a big deal. Uh, along alongside Michael Bay in 90s action films 
Uh, the two other big faces were European, and that was Jan de Bont, who made Speed and Twister, and, of course, Roland Emmerich, who made Stargate and Independence Day. The two of them were fighting out to make Godzilla. There was an initial early version of the script when Jan de Bont was attached to the film where it was going to be a much more kind of... It was like a kaiju movie, yeah, it, was, right? it would have been a traditional kaiju movie that was faithful to Godzilla lore, in which Godzilla fought like another mythical creature in New York. But the studios bulked at the $150 million budget that he presented. And so when Roland Emmerich, who uh, was self-confessed hater of Godzilla, was willing to sign on with his creative partner, Dean Devlin, the producer and writer of Stargate and Independence Day, for $100 million, they were instantly uh, picked over uh, Janda Bont, which mm-hmm. led to a fallout between the two directors, especially when it was revealed that Roland Emmerich had no plans of ever sticking to that $100 million, <laughs> which quickly spiraled from 125 to 150 million and then once you factored into the p- truly mammoth production and marketing budget this film had it spiraled out to be close to there are some conservative estimates saying 250 mil jesus christ now the studios were willing to take that risk because off the back of 75 million dollars independence day was able to gross $800 million. Wow. Jurassic Park had cost $200 million and had made back a billion dollars. And so a combination of the two was surely going to make $1.8 billion. <laughs> Negative press of this film as soon as it came out left this at something like 370 It barely Yeesh. made back its budget. Yeah, it's a weird one because apparently like they were so hell-bent on not revealing the look of Godzilla, like the redesign of it, um, that they didn't do any market testing. So, you know, normally when you do a movie, you have like pre-screenings to show audiences and see what they think about it. But they were like, fuck audiences. We just want to like make it the way we want to make it. Like it's too big to fail kind of vibe. Um, And in doing so, like fuck themselves absolutely really. apparently they were so litigious about it that they made all of their merchandising partners sign non-disclosure agreements and t-shirt maker fruit of loom leaked images of godzilla on their t-shirt designs that were not the actual godzilla design it was something that they'd leaked to the merchandisers to see who'd blow their load too quick that they didn't want to mm-hmm. work with them. That's how petty they were being with the making of this film. Don't you just want to get your hands on one of those shirts? Oh, for sure. <laughs> like this bright orange Godzilla or something. Yeah, it'd be sick. But it, the, it's hard to really stress, but it probably isn't because if you're listening to this episode, you've probably got memories of how big the production and marketing budget for this film was. It was positively everywhere. It was every single TV spot. Uh, You probably have a toy from KFC that made the growling noise like I did. Mm -hmm. It was was everywhere. It really was. Uh, Like it permeated culture in that way where so many people don't remember the film at all, but just have so many memories about that, like, foot crushing the car. Like, they spent, like, $600,000 on an ad for a scene in the movie that didn't actually make it into the movie. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's completely insane. Yeah. It's it's totally bonkers. And I feel like we, we lost out, potentially, on a better film because Roland Emmerich sought when he was making this film, like Phoebe said earlier, he didn't like Godzilla and he wanted to reimagine it. My whole concept was based on totally changing Godzilla. He's too fast. I wanted to start new. Like I've like, I had the idea for Godzilla like yesterday and how would you do like a movie like this today? 
The task of reinventing Godzilla for a new generation fell to Roland Emmerich and Dean Devlin, the creative team behind Stargate and Independence Day. Their twin talents for taking familiar stories in new directions and destroying national landmarks put the duo at the top of the monster's A-list. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. We make popcorn movies. We love popcorn movies. When you have that kind of passion for the films you make, there's a chance that that passion may become infectious. There's kind of this trend which has kind of fallen by the wayside a little bit in terms of adaptations of existing material is after Tim Burton's Batman film. Mm. I, I thought about this for a while and I think that that is the the starting point of this trend in 90s Hollywood of reimagining existing properties to make them uh, something new for the films, which, you know, yeah. you see so much throughout, like, the Batman franchises of the 90s, so many franchises um, that things had to be different for the movie. Whereas nowadays what we have is this, f like, fan service to the point of it's just ludicrous how much that just fans will go mental if you even think about changing something yeah. about their beloved properties movies are essentially or effectively just written by reddit threads now right like yeah. the the dialogue the like plot like the specific you know comic books of you know certain licenses like that are chosen uh, basically crowdfunded by the internet yeah. um, you know and like a more recent failing of you know uh, a company trying to do like their spin on old um, you know content is the dark universe that like farted and died right oh it did you remember it? like the Tom Cruise mummy movie I was so excited Al uh, you might know him he does this podcast with me his memory is already fading from my mind as we speak from memory like yeah. his, his body drying up in the desert yeah. anyway uh me and him went to go see the mummy with tom cruise like opening weekend in sydney and i remember just being so excited we had a group chat called the mummies boys oh my God. <laughs> and then like proceeding to go into the cinema and it was just like what is this oh man i again like that's a movie i remember nothing about i think i've seen it three times like hungover just like all right maybe this time i'll get it is absolute shit and you know they had big plans for that like series they had like big russ on like russell chunky Crow. butt russ of the unhinged cast fame exactly russ like, if you're listening baby we want you in for episode please, two. please russ we need you like they had big plans for this series but that was you know again like a series of films that they were like we're gonna put like a modern spin on it when like you know the crowds were like no we want like the 50s version we yeah. want like true true to the original content and i feel like uh, from what i've read there was um initial plans godzilla was sold from toho the uh japanese production company that holds godzilla very close to its yeah. chest it was sold to uh america as a three movie deal and when this film failed at the box office, they ripped it back from them, uh, citing like copyright uh, infringement, copyright infringement, and that they'd broken the clause of the contract mm. to the point where they rushed out their own Godzilla film, Godzilla 2000, in the year 2000, where there's a great throwaway line where a student asks some of the scientists, you know, I heard about godzilla was attacking america like is there any truth to that and the scientists say oh that wasn't godzilla <laughs> incredible you know i'm so cut that there wasn't a sequel because they had planned for the next movie after this one to be shot in australia australia mate in sydney in sydney uh and instead matthew broderick went on to do inspector gadget in brisbane <laughs> hell yeah baby matthew call me back baby the child is yours i would have been 11 anyway uh, let's talk soundtrack So, everybody's probably thinking, Sean, Phoebe, where is Al? No, they're probably thinking, 
<laughs> Where is the new metal? And it's right here, baby. We got rap rock royalty with this soundtrack. And I think there's no better place to start, Phoebe, than with produced by Tom Morello. We have Puff Daddy featuring Jimmy Page with Come With Me. So apparently there was a big bidding war in the late 90s between Tom Morello and Buff Daddy for the rights of this. And when it was pitched to them about coming on to work together for it, for Godzilla, there's a great quote from Tom Morello where he says, (laughs) it was like, a super group it was three kings working together in the studio no bickering just creative energy this is one of the dumbest songs (laughs) in the world (laughs) sorry so we're gonna drop some of the clip on our instagram on our social media so you guys can follow along this is one of the funniest clips i've ever seen i've watched it five times since it came uh, (laughs) since i watched this on sunday and i love it every single time so the film clip is directed by a man by the name of Howard Greenhow, who, Phoebe, you might know as the director of your favorite song ever, Rhythm is a Dancer. You're joking. <laughs> yep, that's how he came to fame. He was famous throughout the 90s as having been someone that was willing to integrate a lot of computer imagery into his film clips. He likened computer games as a massive influence. Here's a quote from him. The big game was Sonic the Hedgehog, and I like this game, where the audience, when a goal was scored, all started dancing. I was playing computer games a lot, thinking, this is what the kids are into. Wouldn't it be great if we became this thing removed from reality and existing in a non-real world? Holy fuck. Who plays Sonic the Hedgehog that and gets that high? (laughs) (laughs) You can actually play it better when you do coke because your mind works faster. (laughs) So this film clip is one of the funniest things I've ever seen. It it opens with um, this extended sequence of uh, an R&B sex jam with Puff Daddy rapping over the top of a beat by the Notorious B.I.G. I think it's the Big Popper beat. And Notorious B.I.G. Would, wouldn't even be cold in the ground. And Puff Daddy, of course, had the massive monster hit with Missing You. He was just dining out on being, having been Biggie's friend yeah. to make himself a superstar. It then turns out that Puff Daddy is awoken from the sex dream he's having <laughs> where he's passed out on his couch in an entirely leather outfit. Fully clothed. Fully clothed. And he is being attacked in his penthouse apartment by Godzilla. Oh, man. There's there's nothing quite like original uh, film clips for movies where they try to like shoehorn the film into oh, the, I, the it, film it's clip. It's a lost art, isn't it? It really is. Where the music like gets dampened to add in film sound effects yes. or dialogue as well. Like it's MTV era, just gold. It's so fucking funny. Puff Daddy is launched into the air by an elevator. He then descends as a dove to the ground. It's anime. He plays uh, a, a concert in Times Square with a full orchestra 
Jimmy Page, who re-recorded his own guitar for this, uh, is playing on the Times Square billboards that, of course, feature Bad Boy Records and Sean John jeans. Yes. As Godzilla stomps around New York and proceeds to uh, hit up Puffy as he defiantly... Like a child high on red cordial announces, <laughs> I hate you hoes, you're stepping on my toes, come with me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a really good song. It's been playing in my head uh, this entire time we've been talking. I have not been listening to you this whole time. <laughs> <laughs> it is completely ridiculous. This soundtrack is absolutely stacked though. It's we great. Get, it, the Wallflowers, Jacob Dylan, yeah. Bob Dylan's son covering Heroes by uh um David Bowie. By David Bowie. That's great. It's a genuinely good cover too. We get um kind of a lesser single but still really good from Jamiroquai, which also has an extremely bizarre Godzilla time-in video where he's attacked in a movie theater and spends the whole time falling over. (laughs) (laughs) There's a Rage Against the Machine track, of course, because Tom Morello was all over this film where I I love the idea of Sony Records just being like, uh, yeah, rage, love, love your sound, baby. You, you got this great energy. It reminds me of you know the new radicals. Love it. Um, you reckon you could do us a track for Godzilla? Yeah. And so um, we get them turning in this track about how America uses films as propaganda for its wars with. And they were like, yeah, we're going to put this in the summer blockbuster. Sounds great, man. Don't know what that means. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Really happy you turned this song in on time. The kids will love it. The kids will love it. And I mean, Rage Against the Machine, like, they are still an anomaly to this day. Mm. Like, it, it... it's ludicrous how big they got with the message they had. It's endlessly funny, the influence that they had over new metal, despite wanting nothing to do with it. There's of course the famous sequence of them climbing the stage to destroy it. While uh, Limp Bizkit accepted the best music video at the MTV Movie Awards in 2001. Pure, absolutely iconic piece of new metal history. I feel like this is really uh, indicative of that era where this is a new metal movie, not because of the music that happens during the film, but because of the original soundtrack that was released after it. Yes. So it's like all of the handshaking that goes on behind the scenes, not the scoring of the film. For sure. And I think, yeah, that just is like such a hallmark of new metal movies. And I mean, it wouldn't really be until The Matrix where they were able to properly integrate uh, kind of this new rock and roll sound into the very DNA of the film. Yeah. Like, this is still very much a film with an orchestral score mm. that uh, just happened to have a, mu- as we always love to mention, music from and inspired by Incredible. soundtrack. Yeah. I'm a huge fan. Yeah, I mean, like, the actual score to this movie sounds like Mousetrap. Like, it sounds <laughs> like, it sounds like, like, uh, Matilda or something. Like, it's There's- not tough the love scenes between maria patillo and matthew broderick have got this insane like schmaltz to them yeah it sounds awful yeah it's not good it's not good i've got a note here uh that boyfriend of the pod murdoch stafford said describe maria patillo as pleather graham the entire time (laughs) (laughs) oh that's so good thank you murdoch You have one free month of Patreon waiting for you for that great gag. Hell yeah, babe. Phoebe, you know what time it is? What time is it, Shawnee? It's time for the Bodies Hit the Floor score. The Bodies Hit the Floor score. The Bodies Hit the Floor score. Phoebe, as you are the guest and executive producer of the show, I would love for you to kick us off. What are you going to go with? I'm going to be generous because I had a really good time with this movie. I think like... The movie went on too long, but it was still really fun 
it like was you know dipping its toe in the cgi era of hollywood blockbusters but it still had great miniatures it still had great action sequences it was all shot at night with blue stage lights and rain that never ended why did i i I was saying this to aaron why did so much of this film involve people or pointing torches at the camera yeah. There were floodlights pointed at Godzilla, but from the perspective of Godzilla's eyes, uh-huh. for someone coming down with a migraine, this film was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> um, look, I would give this movie for just like watchability, three and a half bodies hit the floor. Okay. One. <laughs> One body hitting the floor. <laughs> One migraine. <laughs> Phoebe, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'd love to say come back to the show, but I have a feeling that Al is going to turn up safe and sound. Let's hope that he doesn't. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully he can uh, continue to dry up in the uh, desert somewhere. Yeah. Inshallah. 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 (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, man. You're welcome, Phoebe. What are we going to go out on? Um... I want to hear the Wallflowers cover. Yeah? Yep. Well, we're not going to hear that. We're going to hear Come With Me. (laughs) Fuck you!